0: Christians, and it's, it's time has come, the beginning of me, the end of me, the middle of me, whatever it is. It's time for somebody says, let's, let's pray together. Why would you do that? Why, in terms of motivations, why would you join into that time of, of, of corporate prayer, praying aloud? You, you'd be joining in, voicing audibly your prayers with those uh, assembled in that space. Now, it, it could be, it could be out of a, a genuine a heartfelt response for how God has loved you, cared for you, the initiative that He has taken in your life, and out of that overflow, you want to pray and I do, be, be it. But what if, and this may be more true than you would want to admit, what if possibly the reason that you are responding the way that you are, allowed to enter in in prayer with those uh, similar there in that space, is not so much that, but it's more like you're just kind of parroting. Like, like the bird. parroting what you've heard, what others are saying, what you think should be said. Well, maybe it's even worse. Maybe you're just posturing. Wanting to look good, look Christian, look spiritual, feel spiritual in front of those. People. Maybe it's parroting. Maybe it's posturing. You've got to know that's not the right word. thought about the fact that there could possibly be pitfalls to prayer. Not to say prayer in and of itself, but the motivations as to why we are praying. Jesus speaks to that. This is not just some sort of you know, crazy thing that Richard's like come up with. Jesus speaks directly to this, powerfully to this in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we're gonna be starting here this, this Sunday just a short burst of a, a little mini-series on the topic of prayer. We're calling it uh, Jesus on Prayer, in particular in the Sermon on the Mount, some of the things that we see there. So if you've got a Bible with you, I'd ask you to turn with me now to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six, this is the, the, the section in the Sermon on the Mount in, in which Jesus is speaking on the topic of, of prayer. Now I want you, if you can envision this, uh, as, as we're about to read this, uh, let me just read. Um, sorry, Connie, I didn't give this to you. It's, it's, it's okay. It's just really short. Chapter five, verses one and two. This is the, the context. So you are kind of painting the picture. So Jesus, um, by this point in Matthew's gospel, you've, if, you're, you've, if you're at chapter six, by this point, you have, uh, you've read of his, his baptism, his temptation, the beginning of his public ministry, the calling of his disciples, And then this moment, this moment in Galilee, as we pick up in chapter five, verse one, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And this is the part of, we're about to read, is part of the teaching that comes in that context. So imagine you're on the mountainside, okay? You're present amidst the disciples in in this early stage of Jesus's ministry. And he is teaching us as we're assembled there on that hillside, and we've gotten to this portion of the teaching, and it's on prayer, okay? So skip over to chapter six, verses five through eight. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Let me just stop there. Lord willing, we'll pick up the rest in the next couple of weeks. But just stop there for now. That's where we're going to hone. Where we're going to hone in on for the next few minutes. But can we pray for just a moment before we go any further? Uh, Lord, thank you for this teaching. Uh, you know you've placed it in us. So of course, you know it. You know this impulse we feel to pray, to speak to you, to want to hear from you. You also know very well our struggle. And we thank you that you are sympathetic to that struggle and so dear, so kind, so wise in your teaching. And we ask that you would help us to hear as we are sitting on the hillside listening to you as if for the first time hearing these words, perhaps even the very first time for some of us here. Thank you for this opportunity. Would you pre, please, please, teach us, even as the disciples then were asking, teach us to pray. Teach us, would you? Amen. The Apostle. I don't know how many of you have seen this film. It's a 1997 film starring Robert Duvall. Uh, it's, it's about a preacher named Sonny Dewey, the man is anything but perfect. So I'm not saying as I'm about to read something from the film here, I'm not saying model pattern your life after Sonny Dewey. That's, that's not the point. But the man is transparent. You know where you stand with Sonny Dewey. And I want you to listen to this prayer from the film. Okay. This is an excerpt. This is this one beautiful scene from the film. This, this is Sonny. He's up in his room. It's door is closed, it's night, uh, and he, he's a praying. Somebody, I say somebody, has taken my wife. They've stolen my church. That's the temple I built for you. I'm going to yell at you because I'm mad at you. I can't take it. Give me a sign or something. Blow this pain out of me. Give it to me tonight. Lord God, Jehovah, if you won't give me back my wife, give me peace. Give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me give it to me give me peace give me peace I don't know who's been fooling with me you or the devil I don't know I won't even bring the human into this he's just a mutt I'm not gonna bring him into it but I'm confused I'm mad I love you Lord but I'm mad at you I am mad at you so deliver me tonight Lord what should I do no tell me should I lay hands on myself What should I do? I know I'm a sinner, and once in a while, a womanizer, but I'm your servant. Ever since I was a little boy, and you brought me back from the dead, I'm your servant. What should I do? Tell me. I've always called you Jesus. You've always called me Sonny. What should I do, Jesus? This is Sonny talking now. How do you feel about that? My guess is it probably made a few of us feel a little uncomfortable. That level of rawness, of honesty, of transparency, of vulnerability, as Sonny just lets it fly, he is just letting God know what's on his heart. I don't think it's any stretch to say that that's how we should pray. Much like Sonny Dewey, being that honest, that transparent, that vulnerable, that plain spoken. I said we're starting a series in, in prayer here. Um, we're in Matthew. Most of it's going to be in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount. I re- read the context already. As you're reading through the Sermon on the Mount, which you, which you first read of in chapter five is what we could call moral uh, Moral righteousness. And then in chapter six, you see Jesus shifts to what you could call uh, religious righteousness. That is, you know, chapter five, acts and attitudes towards one another, other people. And then as you're shifting into chapter six, you're seeing more of a, a uh, expressions, outward expressions of devotion to God and what that looks like. And, and Jesus is touching on what we could say are the, the three pillars of first century Judaism. And that would be almsgiving, that is giving to the poor, and prayer, and fasting. He touches on all all three. He gives warnings regarding all three. He gives us the principle regarding all three. Chapter six, verse one, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have your reward from your father. You will have no reward, sorry. You'll have no reward from your father who is in heaven. So that's the overarching principle. So then he, he states the principle he moves into the topic of almsgiving, again, giving to the poor, and then he moves, moves here in chapter 6, verse 5, into the topic of prayer. And clearly, Jesus is saying, not by don't hear him say what he's not saying. By giving strong correction regarding prayer, he's not saying he doesn't want his followers to pray. He's saying, no, my followers, if they are indeed my followers must be people of prayer. He calls us to pray, but to, he calls us to pray in the right way. He calls us people to pray. He calls us to pray, but we must do so in the right way. Now, how do we see that here? And what do we see regarding that here in terms of the right path, what prayer is meant to, to be? Well, just for this morning, what we're going to look at is first, this is in the outline if you've got your bulletin there, First, just some fundamental assumptions regarding prayer that is undergirding everything Jesus is saying. Some fundamental assumptions, okay? And then uh, two problems. So that's the first point is the fundamental assumptions. The the second point is the first of the two problems, and that is the problem of what we'll call hypocritical prayer, play-acting, posturing. And then the second problem, the third point, is the problem with, we'll call it, Pagan prayer, Gentile prayer, the non-believers prayer, okay? So let's look at these in turn. So first the assumptions and then the two problems as Jesus unpacks it. So the assumptions behind the instruction. So I alluded to this already, historical practice. Um, Jesus is tapping into what everyone knew at the time in, in that first century culture in which he is operating and speaking. Old Testament, rich with many calls to both corporate prayer that is to say public and private prayer, individual prayer. You see it all through the Old Testament era. In, in, at this period of time, same thing, same thing. Calls to public prayer in the temple, calls to pray publicly in the synagogue, in the morning, in the afternoon, and the evening, and in other times as well. So th- this is part of the, 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 the spiritual culture, the DNA This is hardly shocking that Jesus is calling his people to to pray here. Now, the rationale behind that, of course, is the fact that God is a relational God, okay? Eternally in communion, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is a relational God. We are made in his image according to his likeness, which means we were made for relationship, not just with one another. That's true. That's another sermon. Also made for relationship with him, okay? Okay? We are hardwired for relationship with the God in whose image we have been made. Now, the fall drastically damaged our prayer antenna. But that doesn't change the fact that we are still made for relationship, for communion, communication with the one who made us. So he says, you are to pray. You are to pray. Jesus teaches this. He models it. Think of that just for a minute, uh, lest you just unreflectively hear that, that the Son of God prays. God in the flesh submits himself gladly to the Father, depends completely upon the Father in everything that he does, empowered by the Holy Spirit Jesus, his life is spent in prayer, a life of dependence, and he's pressing his followers to do the same, to be a people of prayerful dependence upon the Father, empowered by the Spirit. So these are some fundamental assumptions, and and, and they're they're paradigm-shifting assumptions when you begin to think about, when you begin to hear and grapple with, with some of these these realities uh, before we move on to the warnings let me just a couple of points of reflection here some application what might we where might we go with this okay let's let's go with this first um, if all this is true it has to mean strong Christians will pray more that should be You'd be like, well, of course. That's what strong Christians do. They do all the spiritual things, right? But think with me what the reason is. Why why the strong Christian, why the more mature person in the faith prays more? Because they recognize their weakness. A mark of the strength of the maturity is in the person who recognizes their weakness and need. They recognize themselves as we grow, we come to recognize how childlike and dependent we are, how absolutely necessary the grace of God is in every aspect of our lives. That is a mark of our maturity and strength of faith is recognizing the weakness in every area of our lives and utter dependency upon him. So with that in mind, that's why I say strong Christians pray more. But you understand what the negative... Of that is the, the 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 mirror of that is, right? the corollary is weak Christians pray less the the less mature pray less. why? Because we don't recognize our need. we don't see our dependency. we think we've, we're fine. we've got it. We're okay here, 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 here. I' mean a little shoring up over here, but you know. 56% of the time, I'm okay on Tuesday. That's a mark of weakness. That's a mark of immaturity, thinking we can handle it. We don't see it. We don't see our need. And Jesus is saying, my children, my followers, my people, pray. Pray. Depend upon me. Lean upon me. This is, this is a mark of Christian maturity and is essential. Okay, then that takes those assumptions. Let's move into the the problems that Jesus speaks to here. And this is what we see in verses 5 through 8. And uh, we'll start with the problem of hypocritical prayer, the posturing, the presumption, all of that. Uh, That's uh, verses 5 to 6. Let's read it again. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. All right, what do we see going on here? What, uh, why is Jesus, what's the problem with these folks? What's going on? Why do they pray the way that they pray? He, he speaks of hypocrites, which literally uh, means a play actor. It is to say someone who wears a mask on a stage and is playing a part. It's, they're, not, they're not themselves, they're playing a role, projecting something that they are not. That is literally what in the Greek a hypocrite is, a play actor. Someone's putting on airs, putting on a, a show, posturing, performing for the sake of others to see them and to think something other of them than they really are. And that's a problem in anything, but in particular, it would seem here with what Jesus is saying regarding prayer. And he draws a couple of examples here from his time, and no doubt, I'm sure we could think about some contemporary examples in our own day. Uh, So the first example being the synagogue. it was, it was customary to be, for an individual to be called up front in a synagogue service to read and to lead in the service or at least some portion of the service. And in that, there is the temptation in that moment to perform, to be the hypocrite, to try and put on airs to impress those who are you know, in the assembly with you know, your performance and what you're saying and how you're saying it and all that sort of thing. That's the first example Jesus gives in the synagogue. The second example he gives is in a much more informal setting, and that's just out on the street corner. I said this earlier, that, that at the time, there were, there were calls to pray, uh, morning, afternoon, and evening. So the idea was what you wanted to do, putting in air quotes, what you wanted to do was to time your walk down through the street and arrive on the corner, the most visible place at the right time of the call to prayer so you could be seen. Now, that sounds absurd, of course, but it was a thing and it was a problem and it's part of the outward manifestation of the impulse to, be, to, be, to impress and to be thought well of by others in the context of ostensibly ostensibly praying to God. Now, Jesus, don't misunderstand. He's not saying, it, there's nothing wrong whatsoever with being seen while you pray. The problem comes is when you pray to be seen. Vast difference between the two things. And the result of this is, of course, you get just what you asked for. You want the praise of men? That's just what you get, but that's just what you get. You get nothing more. You get the praise of men, but God is deaf to those who are blind to him and can only see the approval of others and are only interested in the approval and the delight of others in their posturing. What's the alternative? Well, that's the alternative here. The alternative is not the, the posture of the hypocrite, but the posture of the disciple, the, the, the one who is genuinely following after Jesus, the one who recognized their childlike dependency and has a childlike um, uh, stance before the Lord, just coming like sunny Dewey, just coming as you are, as we are. And so with that in mind, Jesus says, then go, if if, if what you want is prayer, truly communion, communication with God, then go in your room and shut that door, alluding to what we know from archaeology and writings of the time, likely the layout to the common person's house that most only had maybe one room with a door off in the storeroom. So if you really want communion with God without distraction, if that's really your heart's desire, then go there. Go there and shut the door and pray in that context. The result being a soul's refreshing assurance, uh, recaptured, rekindled not that that creates the assurance, but rather it rekindles the assurance that ought to have been there. Is this all, all coming of his mercy, not our merit in any way. Anyway, that, that's, that's the contrast that Jesus is drawing here between real and hypocritical prayer. Between real and hypocritical prayer. Some thoughts, some reflections, some application here. First, let's speak to private, excuse me, public, corporate How might this apply? There was kind of obvious, right? I mean, Jesus kind of just laid it out here. So in terms of, say, praying in our homes, you know, family worship, ran the the dinner table, or say, um, oh, here on a Sunday morning, or in one of our Sunday school classes, or in our community group, or somewhere out, you know, giving thanks for a meal, or whatever the case may be. We can know this, Jesus is telling you. To, To gather together with others to pray is a good and beautiful thing. But let us not take that beautiful privilege and warp and twist it into a presumptuous performance. Let us not do that. Let us not do that in any way. Guard our hearts against such foolishness. But there's things here not just regarding uh, instruction regarding public prayer, but private prayer, individual prayer as well. We need to come as we are. said this a couple of times already. Come as the child Without pretending, without the, the masks, without the airs. I can just put it this way, to, to come with, just as a child does. You think of how many of you of us are, are parents or uncle, uncles, aunts, whatever the case may be, and you think of in terms of how does a child come to you, they come with their need, they come with their request, with their snotty noses their dirty fingers, their skin knees just as they are without feeling the need to get cleaned up first. That's how we can come to our Father. Just that way. Just that way. He's calling us to pray, calling us to pray, calling us to pray in the right Way. And we can, we can because of who he is. Takes us to the second warning, not just the problem with hypocritical prayer, the presumptuous, the play acting, all that, but the pagan prayer, the prayer of the Gentile, the prayer of the non-believer. The idea being that prayer is a human impulse. Every man, woman, and child on the planet, made, because all are made in the image of God in his likeness has an impulse, however deeply buried it may be, to pray. And it can come out sometimes in this way, in the way Jesus is describing here, verses 7 through 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So why would you pray? What's going on here? What's the motivation? What's the, 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 what are the factors, the, the heart stuff going on here that would cause someone to pray in, the, in this way? Well, it's, it's basically an understanding of, well, a false understanding, a misunderstanding of who God is. God is, whatever He is, He can be manipulated. He can be, I, I need to awaken Him. I need to spark His attention but therein, having done so, I can, I can manage him. I can badger him. I can pressure him in some way to do, to give what I need and, and want. And so with that, the, the approach is to pile up the words, pile up the names, remind him of all that we've done for him Um. All the sacrifices that we have made, all the services that we have rendered, and now it's time that we're cashing our check. Pay up, God. And that's the prayer. That's that's the prayer. Of course, Jesus will have none of that because God is not a God who can be manipulated. Uh, He is not one who is ignorant and therein needs to be informed. He is not reluctant towards us and therein needs to be persuaded. He says it very plainly here. Again, hopefully we'll get into this in the next few weeks. He is our father. So he does not need, again, he does not need to be informed. He does not need need to be persuaded. He is not reluctant. He is not ignorant. He is our father. So therein Jesus says, do not be like them. Do not be like them. Now, again, like there's a clar- there was a clarification in the last point, there's a clarification here. It's not that Jesus is saying he's ruling out the idea of praying with repetition or praying with perseverance. We see him teaching and modeling that very thing. What he's warning against is coming with all words and no heart. What he's warning against is a coming with a meaningless script. It's just babbling, in essence. It's just it's just words. And therein is the contrast between the real and the pagan prayer. So just as surely as he does not want, he wants sincere but not hypocritical prayer, he wants thoughtful, not uh, meaningless prayer. There is a place. Please hear me. There is a place, and there's rich tradition in the history of the church for meditation, for being quiet before the Lord. But that is not to be misconstrued into just mindless repeating of words as though it's something like a spell, and we come into a trance. It's not what Christian meditation in any way is, not at all, not at all. And when I say that, a lot of you may be thinking, when I speak of repeating things, a lot of us, depending on your experience, if you've had any in the church, depending on what that might be and what strain within Christendom that might be, you might be immediately thinking, well, it's those liturgical churches that have problems. It's those folks that have the written-out prayers, right? Oh, shoot, we have those sometimes. Um, It's it's those folks and the problems that causes, you know, because those are the folks, right, who pray the empty prayers. Not so fast, my friends. Let's go over here to the free-form, informal, extemporaneous prayers. If those were recorded... And woe unto us if they were. If those were recorded, think about the amount of meaningless verbiage, the God talk, that shows up in that kind of praying that's no less mindless than some liturgical. The problem is not in the form, the problem is in the heart. And that's what Jesus is addressing, the heart. How and why are we praying? How and why are we praying? He's warning us here. One other thing is worth noting here, and that is um, our view of God as is oftentimes reflected in what we say about prayer. You've heard many of us have heard this, many of us have said things like this. Perhaps in jest, I hope in jest. I don't know, but it goes like this. Be careful what you pray for. God might give it. Now, can we unpack that for just a minute? Just kind of drill down under the assumptions of that statement. What are we saying? First, what are we saying about prayer? Apparently, it's a magical incantation. You say it just right, you're going to get it. Wave the wand, you know, stir the cauldron, say the word, you got it. Or you don't. If you say it wrong, uh uh-oh. What are we saying about God? Not just what are we saying about prayer, but what are we saying about God? That he would work that way with us. That's not the God of the Bible, not in any way at at, at all. Jesus is calling us to pray, to pray, to pray in the right way. We can, we must. The, The thing that's really behind all of this, and we'll get into this as we go through this little series, is the relational reality to prayer, the relational dynamic to prayer, that when we pray... What we speak of from a Christian standpoint is real communion with our Creator. Real communication, speaking and listening to the one who made us, provides for us, cares for us, and has saved us. That God, the God of Old and New Testament, there's a relational aspect to this. It's profound if we'll just grapple with the significance of that. That is profound. In our um, Inklings Beyond group this past Thursday night, uh, we were talking about the sixth published book in the Chronicles of Narnia, The Magician's Nephew. Uh, and uh, those of you not familiar with the book, well, I won't go through the whole thing, but but there's a scene, a powerful scene, but two-thirds through the book, where uh, the, the two, main ch- two children, two of the main characters, Diggory and Polly, are sent out on this mission, this quest by the great lion, Aslan. And the quest is they've got to retrieve this apple. We'll get into all the details, but they're uh, retrieve this apple from a tree in a valley far, far away. So in order to get there, they have to ride on the back of this winged horse, named Fledge, and uh, along the way, on a layover on this flight, uh, they stopped for the night, and I want to read you this scene. I'm hungry, said Diggory. Well, tuck in, said Fledge, taking a big mouthful of grass, and he raised his head, still chewing with a bite of grass, sticking out each side of his mouth like whiskers, and said, come on, you two, don't be shy. There's plenty for us all, but we can't eat grass, said Diggory. Hmm, hmm, said Fledge, speaking with his mouth full. Well, hmm, I don't know quite what you'll do then. Very good grass, too. Polly and Diggory stared at one another in dismay. Well, I do think someone might have arranged for our meals, said Diggory. I'm sure Aslan would have, if you'd asked him, said Fledge. Wouldn't he know without being asked, said Polly? I've no doubt he would, said the horse, still with his mouth full. But I have a sort of idea he likes to be asked. Why does God want us to pray? Now think about that. He could just skip that intermediary step, right? He could just like give you the thing you need before you are even aware of it and ask for it. So why does he want us to pray? Why does he want us to come to him with our needs and actually ask him for it? Why does he like to be asked? What, what is there about us that we need to do the, the asking? At least partly, this is the, the, what's going on here with us and certainly with the characters in the story. It's this. Prayer is relational, and it opens up. Come, coming to him, coming to God with our needs opens up a pathway to our greatest need, Him. You see, by coming to Him with just our slight needs, our temporal needs, it opens up the relational pathways to our greatest need, and that is Him. Jesus says in John's gospel, as we learn our, and relearn and have our sense of dependence upon him as the branch to the vine. That's us, as the branch to the child to the parent, the branch to the, the vine. Having that impressed and re-impressed upon our hearts, Jesus is actually our greatest need. That's why he bids us come. He bids us to come. He bids us to pray. We must Pray in the right way, and here's the beauty of it we can. We can. can. We pray now. Lord, it is a wonder to consider these things, to consider what prayer is a believer's communication with their Creator. It's a wonder to consider that we can pray, that you desire us to pray, that you desire that communication for us, knowing of our need of it, that you desire it with us because of your pleasure that you take in us, in the relationship with us. Lord, would you please help us to take deeply into the, the, our, our bones the relational reality that we see here reflected in the realities of prayer. Would you free us from all of our posturing, all of our pretending, all of our mechanical babbling? Would you help us in our speaking? Would you help us in our listening to learn what it is to be with you? And we pray this in your name. Amen.